Hey everybody, how's it going? I'm good, thanks for asking. Welcome back to the Back and Forth Podcast. This is me, your host with the most, Cesar Koza, aka Samamu. And boy, do I got a show for you guys today. So, I've never actually sat down and conversed with people who are into politics because I found that when they say they're into politics, they really don't know what they're talking about, right? And they and they're very biased. So I've always sort of uh, steered clear of um, individuals like that and that particular topic because, of course, I'm not even the best informed when it comes to politics. Uh, but recently, a friend of mine recommended or he advised me to. Um, bring on uh, this gentleman who is not only well informed in domestic politics uh, but he uh, through my conversation with him he seemed like he was uh, also informed about the international politics the economics within our country uh, and definitely the state of our country as uh, it is now and the history of uh, the politics in our country right i actually learned quite a bit quite a bit from this gentleman so without further ado ladies and gentlemen please welcome uncle bote matunjani and tebolo moshikari Boom, welcome back, gentlemen, to the Back and Forth podcast. Ne? Before we start off, just cheers, cheers, cheers. Toasting for life, man. Life, oh, to life, yeah. to life, to life. Right. Beer tastes different, eh, Yeah, it tastes. It tastes richer, bro. <laughs> I, I said the same thing. It's a confirmation bias. There's no such thing. But no, the tap does generally taste different. I said so. Tap. Yeah. This is, I did that, that didn't taste like castle light. But, um. Right, let's this, this get into it, man. Um. I've never actually. Um. Conversed in a conversation with politi- political informed individuals. Right, yeah. if we want to put it, that's a heavy title. Nah, man, it's not heavy. <laughs> it's not heavy because yeah. I feel like um, <coughs> when it comes to politics, right. people are emotional about it. It's more because politics is a science, yeah. like anything else, is a social science. But it's almost become into that. But it's um, like it's almost like people have already picked sides. They don't even 100%. they don't even like deduce it to anything. Yeah. And then when you try and have a normal conversation where you unbiased or, or and you're just being objective, it becomes then an argument more than right. anything. Right. Yeah. So I was like, and that's even that's just conventional politics. Mm, so mm. I think that politics goes beyond the association with parties, right? So, yeah. Um, at its at its core meaning, politics is about the study of power. Who who eats what when how? Mm-hmm. That's like the what do you call this the. 101 of politics yeah it's not just you know who's in power uh, or who has political gain or whatever the case may be but it's about the day-to-day you know the fact that we're sitting here in a table in the space that in itself is a form of politics yeah occupying a particular space in a particular context that in itself is politics mm-hmm. so 100 percent, you, you you're right people yeah. are very quick to take sides without really understanding the deeper sort of uh, meaning of what politics is do you do you think um in south africa Lana, do you think um people actually do they critically analyze the different parties within south africa or is it just like oh well you know i like eff we're gonna get our land back let's vote or uh, yeah, 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 ANC made us free. <laughs> Let's vote for them because that's that's my stance. That's why I don't vote. I haven't. Yeah. I've never voted because yeah. Yeah. I think you have to critically analyze. You you have to be a clear thinker to actually then say, okay, 100%. this is why I'm voting. 
because now I feel enjoying it. I feel like it's almost like in the ANC has been the party after apartheid. So people obviously now they feel that that is the party and that's 100%. the freedom party. That's yeah. what's giving us yeah. our freedom that we have now. Yeah. So it's almost like, oh, I don't care if the ANC is producing or not. I'm just going to give them the vote. There's no way I'm giving any other party yeah. a vote. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Look, I mean, it depends on what you mean by critically understand because um, there's a particular narrative that we've all been exposed to. This idea how ANC liberated us. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you had to critically an- analyze that, if you had to look at history in particular, the watershed moments in history came when the ANC was underground. Yeah. yeah? So the shifting dynamics of the politics of apartheid in the 1970s with the student uprising, political organizations were not at all involved in that uprising. And you must then follow what happens after the 1970s with the student uprising. Um, finally, after a while, media starts getting attention, uh, well, starts getting the real story of what's happening in South Africa. Because for a long time, the apartheid government was able to bar uh, the truth from everybody else. So, so I mean, this critical moment, even though there was underground mass organizations that were happening, at that particular moment, there was no political organization that was to be seen on, on the ground. Mm. You know what I mean? So, and you know when you want to critically analyze then you're speaking to an educated few yeah yeah so how we work at critical analysis what exactly are you talking about are you talking about policies because i think generally as a country we're not there yet we're not there where we are assessing policy each policy that a political organization will present and critically analyze what do they mean when they say free free education what do they mean when they say land expropriation without compensation? Whatever the case may be. That's what I uh, mean when yeah, I, I'm 100%. talking about critical thinking. Yeah. That yeah. a lot of the time you find Uzi, no one actually knows about yeah. these uh, clauses that yeah. have been put in or yeah. you know something like that. So that's what I always say. Yeah, 100%. But also you must look at the, the constituencies of these of these parties. Right? It's a so big word, bro. <laughs> Fuck does that mean? Yeah. So, so when you go out and do a rally, for instance, yeah, yeah. we're not going to have a critical conversation. I mean, this is a very elitist conversation that we're yeah, having. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. We're sitting, we've got the nice view of Santin. Uh, we are, you know, arguably Sipping educated. Nice, we're drinking beer, yeah. <laughs> smoking all sorts of things. You know what I mean? Pass the that, point please. is um, the, the conversations that are supposed to be happening at ground level. Mm. And I hate to use the word ground level mm-hmm. because it's as if we are separating ourselves from what's happening there. Yeah. But all I'm saying is our our grandmothers and grandfathers are not having these conversations, these critical conversations and understanding what land expropriation without yeah. conversation means. You know what I mean? And having a deeper look at the policies that each party presents every time we have an election you know what i mean mm. so the, there is no space for that but we're still because we're still a young democracy i think we still need to give it time and hopefully we'll get to a phase where we're saying well let's have a debate about what land expropriation about composition actually means mm. you know what i mean before we go cost yeah uh, a vote. for now it's still very emotional mm. it's like well i only know the anc and as a result i'm going to stick with the anc mm-hmm. um only only a few people very educated to an extent, uh, people who resonate with what uh, you know, what Julius Malema would be saying at a rally, those are the few people who would say, "Well, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to vote for the DA because of their neoliberal policies, whatever that means as well." Yeah. Or just the perceptions around it. I'm not going to vote for it. Mm. Um, mm. And I'm just going to stick with what I know, rather yeah. the devil that you know than the one that you don't. You know what I mean? Mm. So. I think that's that's where we are as a country, just generally looking at uh, the patterns of voting and who's voting and mm. why they vote. Mm. It's a different story. It's a different story. But, uh, be, because I always say, Wazi, you need to understand that the politicians are performers. 100%. They perform as they go up on stage and they give you a picture and they sell you a story because they want your votes. 100%. Not to say that, that that's wrong. That's what marketing really is, yeah. you know? You selling a product which is yourself and your party and you hoping in in return to receive votes but the question now is do you look beyond that do you look beyond the fact that 
what Julius Malema goes up on stage and he's saying that Cyril Ramaphosa goes up and he's saying that Abu Musi Maimani goes up and he's saying that are you critically analyzing what they're saying or are you voting because of the heritage of the party so that's the I think people need to sit themselves down and have a clear distinction yeah. of that 100% yeah I think that as a as somebody who I never like to claim to be a historian mm-hmm. right? but as somebody who has nigga you teach history bro <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> you know we, we don't call it we don't call it uh, knowing history we call it having a sense of history yeah because I think there's just some complex things that are happening or that have happened um, that we can't draw any rationale to mm. you know what I mean um, and so as somebody who has a sense of history uh, and uh, sort of having a sense of how politics operate as just an ordinary person on the street uh, I do critically look at policies mm-hmm. um, and uh, we, we need to all get there yeah. where, where we're having those debates, you know, mm. instead of saying, well, ANC liberated us. And as a result, I will forever be uh, an ANC member yeah. or the EFF. It, uh, for whatever reason, it needs to go beyond just the rhetoric. Mm. You know, it needs to go beyond, uh, uh, you know, the slogans, because I don't think people read beyond the slogans. True, you know I mean? true, uh, very people true. People vote with what they associate themselves with, mm. you know what I mean? that's the political climate currently and but we need to get there we need to get to that point true yeah we need to get to that point Ongs, what's what's your your, your stance Mzans. what's your opinion of Mzanzi right now when when you're looking at social issues economy and poli- politics social issues currently right now where you are as a country and I just like bring it towards you yeah I feel like right now, as a country right now, we are in a serious mess. I was also looking, this past week I was looking at... That's a strong <laughs> statement of Kaya. I, I feel like nothing is going on. This, this past week I was looking at... Um, the finance minister released uh, this rescue plan. Mm-hmm. And it was detailing these five... Um, what's it called? These five themes mm. on how he plans to, 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 to rescue the economy. And I was looking at one of the issues he was talking about how he plans to, well, he wants to sort of um, sell the power plants to ESCOM, right? Because obviously you know ESCOM is, is a fire state and it's owned by the state. Yeah. Okay, and I was sitting down with a friend of mine who also does economics, you know, discussing how, whether it would be beneficial or detrimental to you know, mm-hmm. fixing the economy and everything. And I don't know. You guys, you guys might help me if if I'm wrong. But we know that um, uh, privatizing uh, SOEs, uh, state-owned uh, entities, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it has its benefits and its disadvantages. Yeah. Benefits number one. We know that in a in a private entity, um, their main objective is making profits. We know that. So in terms of making profits, they have to run a, a, an efficient company. Those are facts, right? Obviously now, if you wanna be, if you, if if you're a company and you wanna be efficient, first of all, you're gonna start even um, firing unnecessary like I don't wanna say unnecessary, but you know you get those redundant jobs. Yeah. And people are gonna start losing their jobs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, really, it's gonna happen that they wanna start performing better. A company that's performing better, it's always good for the economy, mm. right? But now, I saw that the labor union and the SA. SCCP, South African Communist Party, mm. they are against it. The main factor being what? Labor union. I mean, lab- labor is sorry. People are going to lose their jobs if it happens that these these companies are being privatized. Yeah. Mm. So now we're stuck at a certain point whereby what do we do now? Do we want uh, do we want a country that has low unemployment but it's doing bad? Or vice versa? We want a comp- We want a, an economy that is doing well, but it's got high unemployment. Mm. Where where do we draw the line? Yeah. And I was having this debate with my friend during the week, and we still having it. Well, we. I mean, uh, another important thing is the high unemployment. I think it's twenty nine percent now. Mm. Mm. It's crazy numbers. It's crazy. it's crazy numbers. So, I think from a ground level. 
we in South Africa, one, have not fixed the issues that go beyond our time here. Because what was happening before, um, uh, pre-'94, uh, the minority were getting employment. And so the economy was serving well, but only for the minority. Right? Post-'94, it's still the same. <laughs> the, the, it, I mean, you could say a bit has changed, right? So for the, tw- uh, how many years? 25 years since, since uh, Mandela was elected, more people have, definitely more black people or more Indians, more colors have received employment, but the economy is still, um, it's still positively helping only one race, if I should say. Yeah, you know what I mean? So I think, first things first, I mean, we, we in South Africa, I think we have too many foreign companies. If you get what I'm saying? Because even if these companies are doing well, it's not really benefiting our economy, it's going out. You know? It's not just... Um, if you look at your top, your top accounting firms, PwC, Deloitte, uh, Ernest & Young, uh, those aren't South African. So you get what I mean? So you might say, okay, you're employing a lot of South Africans, but you know, where's the, the vast amount of yeah? Out. So that's so that's the you've issue. Helped, you've helped the labor problem mm. well, to a certain extent, but it's not going to improve the economy in a way. So the most important things, and I think um, the the current government now they're sort of implementing that, but again, I think they're not addressing the key yeah. issue. But they're saying, okay, we need to offer more jobs. Uh, to small enterprises within South Africa. But then those small enterprises need to have skilled individuals because it's another thing where you're giving jobs to people that are owning small businesses, but if they have no skills, it's going to be a failure. Mm. And then who's going to benefit? Yeah, so anyway, I think um, it really needs to be addressed, this whole um, inequality gap in south africa before we talk about giving other people jobs or doing this and doing that we need to look sit down and say okay how many people are unemployed okay that's 29 percent of that 29 percent how many are black how many are indian how many are colored and how many are white i can definitely guarantee you that a small percentage of that is white right and then once you do that then you look at okay fine of those that are employed how many are actually running and working within south african businesses and how yeah. many businesses are being created to benefit south africa yeah. you know I so wanna, i want to throw in a, a sort of another problem mm-hmm. um, this issue of globalization right so <laughs> we've got companies who are coming in and mm. we, need, we need to understand this working hand in hand with the politics of the day yeah so here are X amount of people that are looking for jobs and you've got you don't necessarily have the resources to let's say build factories let's use a factory we don't have the resources let's assume for the moment that we don't have resources to build a factory so that we can pay people and get things going mm-hmm. here's a company that comes from the outside and says well I can foot the bill and then we can get into negotiations about how many uh, locals I need to hire, blah, blah, blah. Classic example of the mines, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and as a result, what we also have is not only are we competing against local markets, we're also competing with huge established multinational corporations. That's why also some of our SMEs are struggling to get off the ground. I'll give you an example. So th- the shop that we have at home, yeah, we've got... It's an entire leather business. Um, I can guarantee that the products that we sell are of like serious quality. We can compete with your polo. But because of the brand, it becomes something where we can't even compete. You see what I mean? Um, And as a result, in as much as we ask for support, blah, 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 it's very difficult to get off the ground. Mm -hmm. But also, you can't tell multinational corporations don't come into the country Mm. because people need jobs. Yeah. So it's like, where do you then draw the balance as well? Yeah. Yeah. See what I mean? Um, There there was one of my favorite writers put it so well. He said that countries or citizens are looking to their governments to solve a global problem. Because globalization in many ways, yeah, there's so many advantages 
uh, we create jobs, etc., etc., etc. But that means that it's killing our local markets. Yeah. We can't compete. Yeah. Another classic example was with China, for instance. We can't compete with their steel industry. The fact that they get to spend less on producing their sales because they have a non-existent labor law system, it means that you know they can set prices that are so low that we can't compete against. The minute you set up your business, you need to think about your labor laws. There's so much expenditure to that that they end up undercutting you mm. and you lose out on the business. Mm. Yeah, they're creating, they're still creating to an extent. If they set up shop here, they're still creating employment. However, what about our local, what about our local uh, industries as well? Where do we draw the line? Can we draw the line? Or is it too late? Yes. You know, have we bought into this globalization so much? Arguably, even if we, whether we had a choice or not, right? mm. uh, but have we bought into it so much that it's irreversible? I mean, I, I mean that's an ongoing question, right? But uh, yeah, that's I think multinational corporations are also something that we need to talk about as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's competition, like serious mm. competition. But anyway, yeah, that's that's another issue as well that we need to. So, I was uh, reading substantially about. The origins of apartheid. The apartheid. <laughs> I should be careful of my words. <laughs> but uh, but uh, uh, before this podcast, I read qu- quite a lot on it. Uh, just the history and uh, origins of it. And initially, I think it was first in, uh, put into the system. I think in uh, I can't remember. It was in nineteen forty-six. Yeah, forty-six. When right? the national yeah 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 so but in truth it really began way before right because in in the 1880s you know black people had to have we call it ids now i don't know what they had like passes dompas no 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 just that documents i don't know what it was called like yeah 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 so this whole segregation it's something that has been here within our country for more than a century it's not something new it's not that it, it began in 1940 it's it's been there for quite some time right and <clears throat> now to say that to say to individuals uh, such as blacks and indians and colors to say now you equal without actually putting in any implementation on how to actually bridge that gap it, it's 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 basically a crime because what happened now is bef- after 94 everyone was like oh well blacks and indians and colors you guys are free yeah um so it was almost a situation where it's like oh yeah okay now fine perfect you guys are free you know you c- but certain things were never ever um talked about or, or fixed the 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 basic thing for me is ikasi you know it, it, it's it's borderline criminal to have a sentence and across the road the alex where the sentence is growing at such a vast rate like i was in, in sentin last week and i saw a building there it's called um the leonardo i don't know if you guys know it it has a fucking school in it and apartments and all that shit right but not like far away is the alex right and then people will be across like oh, the highway across the fucking highway yeah. and then people will be like oh wow you know we gave you guys rdp houses and we're building rdp bro you're giving us the li- literally the minimum and you expecting so it's almost like they almost like threw a bone with no meat and they were like okay we'll eat the scrapes eat the what's what's the thing it's called uh, bone marrow like chow that chow that amongst fucking millions of you yeah. and then we so it hasn't been addressed so right i don't have to have a dumb pass i don't i don't have to now have a, a situation where i can't go to a certain park or i can't sit in a certain restaurant or whatever but still it has not been addressed towards the lava are still benefiting when others aren't because they can be like oh we everyone is equal you know like you guys get to go to the school and the school I mean, I'm at a school where right now it's what 250k. How many black people can say, okay, I went to a school that's 250k? Because this is a good school. I'm not saying it's a bad school. I don't know what what do you, what do you mean by good school? I'm gonna get fired. 
But uh, I get what you mean. I get yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm saying this is it's a way better school than what you're gonna get at Gas, right? Let's call it a well-resourced school. Okay, okay. Yeah. Let's call that a well-resourced school, right? But who's getting those well-resourced goods? Hundred percent. You know what I mean? Yeah. So th- there's a vicious cycle going on, right? And uh, <coughs> so I. By the so way, what are we smoking, bro? This is flavored tobacco. Flavored tobacco. Yeah, yeah, What's yeah. it called? Colts, Colts vanilla. Colts vanilla. Pass it along, bro. Don't, don't expose <laughs> me. You should have told me to bring that. Sure, bought weed. <coughs> well, uh, you know. So we're dealing with a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. So we're dealing with, uh, you know, this classic saying for the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. It's it's no joke, right? So we're dealing. Um, I have been fortunate recently where I was invited to do some work with um, with, with a, a colleague uh, and a friend uh, who was conducting a, a leadership festival in in Alex in Alex, mm-hmm. right? And one of the main places where we were conducting this was at Alexandra High School, mm. and the, the the level of dissonance that was taking place. So at what does dissonance mean, bro? Level of difference. So yeah, so so things that are on two polar opposites, basically, <laughs> right? So on the one end, I'm at this very elitist school, and all of these elite children are benefiting. And on the one end, you're dealing with kids who have very little. Yeah. But in spite of that very little, they can still compete with mm. boys and girls who have so much. Mm. Yeah? yeah. So for me, this idea that a child from Alexandra High or whatever mm-hmm. school that is not as well resourced as the one that we're at right now um, gets a 85% average at the end of the year competing with somebody who had everything mm-hmm. and still gets the same it's it's mind it's mind blo- boggling right yeah but all the opportunities are centered and concentrated uh, and I'm I'm going to have to without mentioning any names uh, expose boys schools in general all of these all boys all boys association yeah. all those opportunities of employment of study opportunities are concentrated into one place mm-hmm. right so they're basically benefiting so when you're paying 250,000 rand um, I don't know whether you're paying for a great education the simple logic is that well if a school is that expensive then it means that they can afford to get good teachers etc 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 but what they are paying for is association to a particular name that has that has gotten so much gravity over the years. I mean, the school has been going on for what? Started in Metz, 1953. 60 what years? Something. Anyway, point is, for all of those years, it has gained so much gravity that when you are in Joburg and you say you're from Saints, they don't even ask which Saints school. Mm. They know what you're talking about. A Saint Stevens yeah. or a Saint John's, for instance. So, all those opportunities are concentrated in one area. That means literally the rich are able to get access to more opportunities, and everybody else is excluded from that exactly. and have to work twice as hard. Uh, even though one day we're going to be sitting in the same lecture hall, Kovitz, Kogai Gai, Kogai Gai. But the difference between the two is that I did it with very little, with mm. a teacher who sometimes comes. And yeah. sometimes doesn't. Yeah. Uh, on the one hand, you're dealing with teachers who stay on campus, where you can book for an extra lesson at eight o'clock at night. Mm. You know, so they've got all of this cushion, and still, kids who come out of those environments. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why we also over, not over celebrate, but we celebrate so much mm-hmm. when a child is graduating, given all of the circumstances that they came out of. Yeah. You know, and these <coughs> white folks sometimes just don't get it. Mm. You know, they're like, why are you guys going crazy about this? It's like, well, in order for us just to be able to level up, we had to deal with a whole lot more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Some so of us are like first generation graduates, you know? Like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> my exactly. man. Exactly. My man. Exactly. Exactly. And like you've that. got black tax that's waiting for you. You've got black tax that's waiting for you. Hey, not for me. Well, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. We're dealing with the elite black yeah. here. <laughs> But the point is, we've got black tags waiting for us. You yeah. can't even think about yourself yeah. and your yeah. partner, if you find one, about mm. getting married. No, because you have to send money home. 
Definitely. You know I mean? Definitely. So the, the, the odds are stacked against most black folk, to be honest. Yeah. And that's why I think that uh, we we need to acknowledge that despite all of these challenges and difficulties that we go through, we're still able to thrive. Mm. Even in these schools, we're able to thrive. Yeah. That's that's a big that's a big deal. That's a big deal. W- what do you think about our president? Our president. <laughs> what do you think about him? Every time I go on Twitter, there's always um I don't really like Twitter that much, but every time I go on Twitter, there's always someone slanting him, bad mouthing him. I think him. I think he's just unlucky. He's just. He's unlucky. Unlucky, for what? He came in at the wrong time. Like, why is it that all these things that have been happening these past few weeks? Yeah, it's been rough. It's no secret, we know. Mm-hmm. But all this has been happening just as he, he was about to settle and then, like, you know, start doing his job. All of this happened. Jay-Z, wherever he is, he's laughing right now. He's having a good time. That he didn't have to witness all of these things. Jay-Z. Yeah, Jay-Z is happy with you. Have heard anyone call him Jay-Z? Get <laughs> <laughs> Jay-Z. Okay. Yeah? Get Jay-Z. Jay-Z, wherever he is, he's happy. Like, he's mm-hmm. having a good time. Mm-hmm. So then. I don't, I don't want to put too much blame on our president. Some of these things, they're out of his control. Right? Yeah. But what we, can, what we can talk about is how, like, when all of this was happening, his response to all of this, you know, he did not, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he did not, like, let's say, for example, this whole uh, kidnapping of girls, rape. Mm-hmm. He, was quite, he was quiet about it for too long did not say anything mm. and i think that's where everything started like yeah. you know twitter twitter they won't leave you alone mm. once they see something wrong with you they, they yeah you. yeah so Aish, i don't know but i think he was just unlucky yeah and the ma- biggest mistake he made was not reacting like on time yeah, yeah. To, to address everyone did you see when he was at i think it was in cape town and was trying to address the whole thing, yeah, that girl from the post office. Mm-hmm. They did not even want to hear what he wants to say. They were like on on his leg, and they didn't even give him a chance. To yeah, I think I think people are just angry. People are just angry. People are just angry, people and rightly so. Rightly so. Yeah. <clears throat> what, what what did you think about that? Yes, that xenophobic thing was tricky. Oh, someone, oh, someone asked him on WhatsApp. Uh, okay, they didn't ask him. But there was a WhatsApp story. Are, uh, are we are we xenophobic, or do South Africans have a reason to be angry? And that's what I wanna ask you guys today. Okay, I think first of all, I think the anger is. I think it's the anger is directed to the wrong people or at the wrong place. I think South Africans in general are angry, and we've been angry for. A long time because um, now I'm post-94, so I don't know what happened before that. So I don't think I have the um, sort of opinion about it. Uh, but what I can say is what we were given this picture of the rainbow nation. It's not a fucking rainbow nation. Or that rainbow nation has one fucking color. It's not a rainbow nation. And people have had this anger boiling and boiling and boiling and it's exploding but it's not exploding towards the right individuals or the because really the ideal situation or the ideal place for each and every south african whether white black indian color whatever is for everyone to have water to have electricity to to be working to be able to feed their families because that's what people want they want to have they want their input to equal their output, right? But that's not the case because when now you have people that are working two jobs or three jobs, they're going and they're cleaning up so when they're coming back and they're waking up and, you know, someone has to wake up at three just for your bambi takes it to get to work, right? And you have another individual who only has to do, I don't want to say the bare minimum because I think everyone works hard to get to where they want, right? But there's such a vast difference right in in people right where it's not even 
it's not even humane, bro. Yeah. You get what I mean? I, I, can I take it back a little bit? Um, just to this, this idea of, of, of xenophobia. And I think that this is the teacher in me, right? So, mm-hmm. um, I think xenophobia as a term is, is, is problematic. Because if we have to break the term down, xeno me- being foreign, phobia means the fear of, it is not what's happening, number one. Chinese people are not getting attacked. Right? Chinese people are not We've got a, a, a huge Polish um, uh, population in this country. They're not getting attacked. Whatever other sort of foreigner uh, who's outside of the African continent is not worried that they will get attacked out of nowhere. So we need to expel this xeno part and maybe add Afrophobia, right? It, because African foreign nationals are the ones that are being targeted. But even that, I don't think it's a, it's a phobia of foreigners who are from Africa. It's a different story. I don't think there's an, there's a, an inherent hate, hatred towards other African foreign nationals. If you follow the trends, for instance, and, and, I'm, and I'm discounting where media have actually jumped on scenarios that had nothing to do with Afrophobic attacks, but they called it that. It's just that the person happened to be a foreign national. So there was somebody who was stabbed. I remember the former president, Mbeki, was talking about this, uh, uh, this example. Somebody was attacked, well not attacked, there was a scuffle and somebody got stabbed. That person ended up dying. Story is this person was selling cigarettes uh, and uh, the person who was supposed to buy did not pay for the cigarettes chase after the guy saying listen you need to pay you need to pay there was a scuffle got stabbed died happened that the person was Mozambican mm-hmm. the person had a South African name you couldn't even tell that he was but when the ne- media jumped on it they said xenophobic attacks exactly um, <clears throat> so I go back to my point to say that it's not a phobia when you so I had a I have a friend who's Ethiopian um, for a while but moved back to Ethiopia and one of the things that he was able to say honestly was, um, you know, he opened a shop with minimum costs, right? So technically not registered. So illegally, he op- he was able to open the shop, right? Number two is if Onkobuza wants to establish a shop, go kupugeng. When I competition, competition is able to say again. It goes back to basics able to set prices that are much more competitive. Yeah. So is spending a lot more on his business. And as a result, a two liter Coke, he can't sell it for 15 Rand. He has to sell it for, let's say 18 Rand, just to be able to break even, mm. never mind making profit. So when, when those things happen, Ongobuza's business fails, the first person that he goes is that the foreigners are taking our jobs. The foreigners are doing ABCDFG, right? So when things are good, when service delivery is on point, when uh, basic services are being honored, etc., etc., things are fine. Now, when we are fighting for the crumbs, because I think it's almost natural as humans to say, if there is somebody who's an outsider amongst the three of us, for instance, we need to protect this first, the three of us, before we accommodate. And if the resources are limited, we're going to exclude the foreigner. True. It's almost like natural human behavior. True. You know, based on the identity that, you know, you are South African, you are Zimbabwean, etc., 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 which was not created by us, but I mean, that's another debate on its own. Um, so I don't think that there's an inherent hate for foreigners. I, I, I don't think so. I would have to, I don't know, somebody would have to convince me that, you know, we go by on a daily basis looking at a Zimbabwean and thinking, I hate you. I mean, what I think um, yeah. this anger and this violence stems from, if you look at... Um, uh, okay, I have a construction background, so I'm going to talk about construction. If if you look at, say, now, a certain company, they want to build block of flats. Yeah. Right? And they're looking at laborers, and they're obviously paying them the, be- the bare minimum, like literally crumbs, right? A black South African, one, because they understand that that they're South African and they should not be receiving such a low amount. Obviously, now they're going to be angry 
one, they're going to be angry, and two, they're going to reject that job. Yeah. Because they're going to be like, oh, well, being a laborer is, is hard work. Because yeah, yeah. You, you could be on a project for six months, or you could be on a project for, for three years. It takes a long time. And being a laborer, you're risking your life. It's a, I don't know, 10, 12 hour job. You mm. sometimes doing it seven, seven times a week. And then you're getting paid the bare minimum. So everyone is now looking at it and they're saying, well, my input is not equaling my output. My output is, n- is barely existent, right? And so then a, a private, corp- not even a private, corp- but a corporation will then be like, okay, fine, you don't want this job. I can get someone for cheaper labor from a different country, right? And so now someone who's from a poorer country because we in South Africa are in a third world country. Africa is a third world continent. But compared to someone living in Somalia or Ethiopia or Congo, we're fucking New York. And, 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 and you know, we, 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 we are basically uh, Africa light. And then they're like, you know, like when you go up north. So that's the point. And then when now this cheap labor is coming in, these private corporations are now privatizing the gains where they are getting the gains by themselves, right? And the cost of labor Which goes back to is way lower. They want to make profit. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. So how, how then do we, we um, solve that? It's not that South Africans are unskilled. It's not that South Africans don't know how to do things. The, the, the thing is really education it really starts with education and if you have someone and sometimes or whatever and sometimes um the teachers don't pitch and the resources are whack they have to be taught outside and then they go to a college or university and they don't know english of course then the, these people are not going to be in positions to do skilled jobs, right? But it's a mere fact. We understand as black individuals, we see it. Oh, but don't like using the word black because it's not just affecting black people. But everyone can see that we are being screwed. You know what I mean? Because it's so much work for such little outcome. And so that's where it stems from. Them, it's, it's, it's more, it's, it's, it's better. But, but, but it's That's where the anger comes from. Let me jump on. Let me, it still proves a point that it's not an inherent hate. It's not a hate. There is no hate. Mm. Um, we, we're fighting for the bare minimum. We're fighting for crumbs. Somebody's saying, well, no, actually, let's say in South Africa, we'll say, well, I've got, uh, they, I, I will not negotiate for that kind of job for less than 3,000 rand. Mm. Whereas somebody else will come in and say, no, I'll take it for 2,000 yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? So for me, it's it's fighting for the bare minimum, it's fighting for the crumbs. Um, but again, I really do not think that there is some kind of inherent hate. It is about economics, it is about politics of the belly, to be honest. But dog, yeah. I think I got a solution. I think I should be the president. <laughs> Telling you, bro. I'm not lying. Telling you. Listen. I think I have an idea. Right? I think every every South African citizen, right? Yeah. Obviously, if you're over 18 and you can work, um, they should be given passports. Right? Passports. And they sell them. Right? And when you sell these passports, you sell them to foreigners, right? And you decide how many foreigners you can bring in to the country. Therefore, say now you work a job where they're giving you 30,000 rands a month, right? And you're working, whatever you're doing. You can actually then tell the, the, the foreigner, you can bring them into the country, you can give them a passport, and you can say, well, you can do my work, and you get half. So I'll get 15,000 chilling, doing my own thing, my own business, and this foreigner can come and do the work, right? Because they want work, they want money, right? I think then it regulates the amount of people that are able to enter and exit the country. 
because now you have so m- like if you go to Hillbro, bro, I don't know if you know so there's so many foreigners who are in this country illegally and that's not regulated so now yeah. I think if you had a passport and you could then decide who comes in and how many pe- each individual so say now you go to the government you say hey um, I've got a project and I need five people you go and you buy five passports for uh, however X yeah, amount yeah. then yeah. you give them the five passports yeah. they come they do the work you control them when the work is finished they leave it's that simple I think you I know, think I think it's it's always with the implementation of policies that um, that determines whether something works. We could construct a beautiful document about how this can all be regulated, mm-hmm. um, and I think the regulation of foreign nationals into a country shouldn't be the the responsibility of an individual, but rather it's it's the state. It's yeah, the state but it's not clearly not working even if you remove that responsibility from the state and give it to the individual it does not guarantee that it's going to be regulated better why why do you say that there's no i mean what what what's the difference what's the difference in saying state regulate everybody that comes in versus individual regulate everybody that comes well because you dealing with your own little budgets so if you have to pay for someone to come into the country you you know that oh i'm not gonna bring in 10 20 people that's gonna be expensive on me i can only afford five or i can only afford two so therefore only two people come in and they come in legally and they come in for work because i'm not against people coming into the country but now if they're coming in and they're doing their own shady things on the side that's what messes things up you know given given the patterns of how certain private corporations work maximize profit and uh, try and spend less on whatever mm-hmm. i think labor is often targeted i i imagine a scenario where a, a, a company is going to come in and they're going to say well yeah we promise you guys that we're going to pay you x amount we'll pay for the passports but really what you're going to get out of, get out of it is as little as possible so basically going back to exploiting people yeah and now because as a private corporation you hold their passports and that's huge power that you're giving to private corporations mm. you know what i mean where the state is not involved where human rights can be um undermined as well because as a private co- corporation i would imagine you want to maximize profits yeah but i mean they can i'm sure it would be fine-tuned to to a, an extent where the government still has certain control right and like i mentioned it's coming out of your budget so if if i'm paying how can i say it's if you have a project and it's worth how x amount they are getting some of that amount from you so if if he's getting thirty thousand from that thirty thousand they're going to deduct some of it and give it to this foreign person that's my question does the government have oversight uh, this is just an idea this is just an idea this is just an idea I just thought of it when I was high okay <laughs> no okay. I mean but I hear yeah. you 100 yeah. percent uh, in, in, in a world where you would stay true to you know um, agreements on paper 100 percent yeah but unfortunately again I can I mean private corporations are already exploiting people mm. until they are called out then that's when they' okay we'll have a minimum will have a minimum sort of uh, what do you call this minimum wage whatever the case may be or we'll start paying them better yeah but I mean it chows out of their pockets so and, and, oh, and I'm yeah, speaking yeah. In very general terms right um, but I, I, I can see how oh my goodness I can see how uh, uh-huh. private corporations don't do that <laughs> <laughs> I can see how private corporations will take advantage of the fact that you know what the state is not looking after these people yeah, I can promise to pay for their for their for their passports, but am I gonna pay them that mm, much? Mm. Is anybody regulating it? Yeah, yeah. You know what but I mean. Anyway, exactly yeah. when you're saying that, it then goes back to this whole notion of the wealth creation, whereby we think I think that that's the I think that's the biggest uh, flaw within 
a lot of South Africans in their minds. Once I'm working for this corporation or that corporation, I'm going to make money. So now if you get a job and you end up working for APSA or whatever company, you're going to get paid a lot and you're going to live the dream. But in truth, you're not going to create wealth. And when I say wealth, I mean freedom where you choose what you want to do when you want to do it with your own money and with your own time because as you said private corporations are going uh, they want the profit they want to maximize the profit but they always want to pay you the bare minimum so even even if you're getting paid 200,000 <laughs> trust and believe that the people that are running that, con- that, that company whatever they're paying you the lowest that they possibly can and because of that, your input is is too co- is too correlated to your output. And I think the ideal ideal thing that should be happening with every individual in South Africa and in the world is the input you put in should not equal your output. Yeah. So I mean, uh, um, I read a quote somewhere. I don't know. He said uh, this guy said one of the most addictive things in the world is heroin and a monthly salary. And I can attest to that, bro, because if you get paid on the 25th... On the heroin or on the... Ah, not the heroin. <laughs> <laughs> not, the, not, the, not the heroin, but yeah, when, when you get paid, say, say yeah. take for example, you get paid on the 25th. By the 15th, my man, hey, you need that shot. You need that, like, yeah. not heroin, but you need that when financial... You know what I mean? Yeah, you know no, what I mean? Really and then you get paid and then it's like, oh, mm. you're on that high. And then boom, strikes again. So it's that addiction. So I always say that um, you need to be aware that working for someone and sacrificing your time for someone else's business is not beneficial. Now again, we as as South Africa, we are not in a position where you can randomly say, I'm going to have a startup and it's going to be successful. We're not like America or Britain or China. We're still developing. So it's difficult for for South Africans, but I always say that you as an individual need to create a brand for yourself. You need to be a business for yourself. That's and that takes accountability and that takes risk. But the biggest biggest success stories or the biggest earners in the world are the people that are actually a brand. If you look at Oprah, when you look at Oprah, her name is literally her business. Right. You look at Kanye, who right. is his name is his business. Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the president of the USA. I think part of it because of his political education and his he's, 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 uh, respected in that area, but it's his name because he puts his name on everything and he had reality shows. So almost everyone knew Donald Trump before he even ran for. No one knew Barack Obama. So you get what I'm saying? You need to then create this brand like jay-z says it he says i'm not a businessman i'm a business man <laughs> you know what i mean so i think we need to be aware of that as well was it as south africans we need to stop and it's something that i think happened as on the ground roots post 94 would you should be dependent on the government that the government's gonna give me this the government's gonna give me a house they're gonna give me clean water you need to understand and you need to take initiative and accountability to know what you can't always depend on a certain group of individuals because you know what that certain group of individuals are being told what to do and how to give certain resources to other individuals exactly and you know what someone else is paying them and they say sorry man and they say that uh yeah no they get paid they get paid from tax money bullshit you know they don't get paid from tax money someone else is paying them to say these things so you need to be aware of that you need to be aware of that i think if we're going to be serious really about creating our own we need to start with institutions of learning institutions institutions of learning for me i think that is the starting point for everything right so yeah sorry to 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 interrupt you there I think then what's important is I think schools are going to be redundant okay. in the near future. I know you teach history. I think history is a dying subject. I think, you know why? Because I think to know, to understand history, not to know history, to understand it, I think you only need to 
be literate in whatever language you're learning it. So, if I want to learn about South African history, right. I can go on Google, type in South African history. A lot of articles will come in. Yeah. I think what then teachers and what schools are doing is just they're fine-tuning and they're picking specific subjects for people to learn, yeah. right? But you need, I think um, another important thing that schools fail to understand is you can't spark someone's interest. Something has to spark, not a teacher. But so can so I interject? Is it, yeah. is it the history? The subject itself, or the way that it's being taught, that's the way that it's being taught. I don't think it so should be. History is not dying. Is it not a dying subject? The way it's, that it's being the way taught, I, it, according to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I don't know if it should be taught. All right. Okay. Yeah, I think I don't know because uh, I mean, really, what you're saying is okay. I'm not a history teacher. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. as I'm saying, it's easy for me to yeah. get access of a yeah. historical yeah. event. No, yeah. 100%. So, that's what I mean. So, I think that, um, so, you, you could definitely jump onto Google these days and uh, read about a particular event. Right? That's information on history. That's not a sense of history. So having a sense of history is about understanding the complexities that took place before an event happened. Uh, understanding what was going through that person's mind before they made the decision which is considered a watershed uh, moment in mm-hmm. history. Mm-hmm. If I'm making sense. Yeah, yeah, you are. So I think that I would I would want to say history is not a dying subject, not at all. Not a dying, no, definitely. We can critique the yeah. way it's being taught. The way it's being taught. So this idea that a teacher is going to walk into class and lecture for 15 minutes, that's nonsense. I think what we need to be doing is saying, okay, here are scenarios. Here are scenarios. Um, more than just for your own information. Here are scenarios. Here are the decisions that are that that were made. If different decisions were made, so kind of arguing the counterfactuals, um, then what could have possibly happened? Because once you start engaging history at that level, you start to see patterns. Mm. Once you start engaging history at that level, you start to see the thinking that went into certain decisions. And as a result, you you become a much more historically conscious human being. So people who are quick to say Mandela was a sellout, I think, yeah, get into the deeper side of history. You know, Mandela did not make decisions on his own. By the way, he was a face of an organization. Yeah, he he yielded so much power within the organization. Mm -hmm. But when you have a deeper sense of history, you will go ask yourself, but how did we get here? How did we get here that so many compromises were made, if you want to take that line of argument, right? So we can critique the way history is being taught. So it's not just about the regurgitation of information. Or oh, in 1652, Jan van Riebeck, three other ships, Dromedaris and all that other nonsense, they came onto the Western Cape. Okay, so what's the significance of that? Exactly. And that's where the deeper history comes into place. You see what I mean? So, so that's what we need to critique, um, how we teach history and what history we teach in the context. Um, one of my biggest things is part of these this decolonization movement is also about saying that if we can study the Rwandan genocide, if we're teaching kids lessons, um, why study the Holocaust in Germany when we can study the Rwandan genocide? Exactly. Because the same lessons can be learned. Exactly. If you follow the patterns of behavior to how it got to the extermination of X amount of people, then there are still lessons that can be taught with the Rwandan genocide. Yeah. Yeah. You see what I mean? So we're saying that what we want to shift our focus to the African continent because there is significance. It speaks to the child that is sitting in front of you. It's embarrassing that our, our students will know Hitler at a go, will know Stalin at a go, will know uh, Winston Churchill at a go. But if you ask them about Thomas Sankara, if you ask them about Gaddafi, Julia Sinyerere, different story. Mm. It's embarrassing. If you ask them about Nkwame Nkrumah, different story. If you ask them about Haley Salazi, different story. You know what I mean? Because also, um, and I'm going to get into trouble for this, but you know what? It's given the context, black children getting into institutions like this, it creates a particular narrative. You know, when I was in that school, I, I can't mention names, right? Primary school, in grade four, 
a teacher said to me, you know, apartheid was not that bad. <laughs> As a grade four, you're not going to argue. Oh, wow. Because, you know, what faculties of reasoning have you developed in order to rebut that oh, argument? He deserved a <laughs> fucking dropkick. That's what... You know what I mean? But, but you felt that it's normal because at that level, at that stage, teachers are your heroes. Whatever they say, you're not going to argue. You're not going to argue, right? But you grow up, then you go home and you say, you know, my, why are my parents so stuck up on this race thing? Uh, we're born free whatever mm. that means by mm. we're born free so why do we need to talk about race until you experience that adversity right because that's where things really get real um, or institutions of whatever nature you know um, or work <laughs> or work exactly same and, shit and, and for me part of you know committing to this decolonization movement is to say that African kids need to be able to reflect on themselves through history they need to know that uh, Greece, as it stands, is not where you find the origins of philosophy, but Timbuktu in Africa was. Because those philosophers, the popular ones, came to Timbuktu to learn from the Africans and the Nubian Egyptians. Yeah. Modern scientists today and engineers still can't figure out how the hell the people were able to build uh, the pyramids. pyramids. Even today. Even today. And part of the, this decolonization movement is the African child needs to be able, and when I say African, I speak about, you know, politically, I'm talking about the black child, right? That they need to be able to see themselves in history. They need to have heroes that look like them. Otherwise, they grow up thinking that my people have always been on the receiving end, have always been on the... They, they've always been recipients of of civilization yeah. and I say civilization in inverted commas because nobody really knows what the hell that is somebody termed it somewhere in Europe and imposed their understanding of civilization on us you see what I mean but if we build institutions of learning we'll be able to counter the narrative that Africans don't create Africans are just thoughtless bodies that are roaming around that have always been on the receiving end see what I'm yeah and, and that's, where you, that's where it starts that's where it starts that's 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 from, from my side oh, shit bro um, is this time is over yeah How long I feel it feels like, like we've been here for like 15 <laughs> I minutes like but <laughs> I think we've been going for an hour Jeez, okay so yeah, yeah it, it, it's it's normal it happens all the time it's very, like I definitely want to have yeah. a another another yeah. episode with you yeah, guys. I think I think if maybe we didn't get lost and we came here earlier, <laughs> this would have been dope <laughs> and we would have spoken for longer. Yeah. yeah um. No. But I end the podcast the same way. Uh. No, actually, I have what I call on the spot, right? So I ask you guys random <laughs> questions. Random questions is not that bad. Okay. Actually, chill. So I ask you guys two questions each of you you ask you answer them to the best of your capabilities all right so first one He's, who's gonna go first you're gonna go first all right okay okay yeah. right what's the first thing you do in the morning drink coffee well i wake up then i drink coffee nigga obviously you wake up <laughs> with this guy drink coffee drink coffee um if you had to go to a musical concert right and you which one would you go to to which artist would you want to go to dead or alive can be anyone miles davis Miles Davis. Yeah, right. 100%. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Matt, I know that you masturbate in the morning, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, not going to ask you that one. I'm not going to ask you that one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just playing, man. If you had to have a, a power, superpower, which one would it be? Oh, that's tough. Superpower. Yeah. The flesh. Run fast. The flesh. Bro, what are you gonna do with the flesh, bro? I'm always late. I'm late for everything. So, bro, you could have said teleportation. You could have been like invincible, and you tell me about being late. Telepo- I'd love to read people's minds. Okay. Actually. You're gonna re- you're gonna actually, learn no, some gonna, fucked up things, <laughs> I'm gonna, bro. I'm gonna go with reading people's minds. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And um, KFC or chicken licking. <laughs> <laughs> chicken legging. Chicken oh, legging. Oh yeah. I feel like right. the first question was difficult. Give me another one. Nah, bro. You get two. <laughs> not that special. Okay. Um. I end the podcast the same way. I want to have a sit down and chat with Cyril Ramaphosa. Mm. I would love for him to come on this podcast. So I'm gonna create like a little compilation video 
where all of my guests um, intro- basically tell them to come on. I've had it from the first episode until now. So just a few words of you tell tell the, the big man himself. Please come on the back and forth podcast. I'd appreciate it, bro. Uh, kind of we have to honor protocol. Uh, uh, honorable president. <laughs> now I think it's very critical that um, he engages with young people that he's seen on the ground having honest and uh, critical conversations with young people. So if the president of the republic ever had to hear this, I think he will. Uh, please come on to the back and forth show. It's worth it. Um, and I think you'll have loads of fun. You know, Thank you. We've been doing, yeah. yeah. Mm. Please honor that, honor that invitation, Mr. President. Uncle Bots, <laughs> give them a little message. Uh, Mr. President, uh, we urge you, we urge you to please come and have a chat with us. I feel like we can learn a lot from you, and I feel like you may also learn a lot from us. Uh-huh. Yeah, lovely. As as we learn more of, because you will be more experienced, and as we just coming with fresh new ideas. So just just try us. <laughs> Something will happen. Right, gentlemen, this has been <laughs> super dope. Definitely, yeah. we should do it again. I think look we should. Look at that view. Look at that view. Look at that view of it. Oh God. She's waiting. You, you have to oh admit that this is the best. Uh, it is, bro. Perhaps in terms of <laughs> geographical city. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have to yeah. But yeah, I have to I have to rush off now, but I appreciate the time, guys. Uh, thank you so much. And we should definitely do this again. Eh? This was really fun. Thank you, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you, man. Short gents.